You're listening to Freshly Brewed, Episode 1. I'm your host, Jeff. I've created this podcast series with a, a simple goal in mind. Talk to interesting people about interesting topics. Today's episode of Freshly Brewed is actually our maiden voyage of this podcast series. And in it, we're going to be focusing on the coronavirus, a topic that is uh, spreading like crazy. See what I did there? This virus came out of nowhere. It's infected over 100,000 people. Uh, I think everyone is confused and freaked out and just wants to know how bad is it. It's an unusual time, and in the words of Donald Trump, I think we all just want to know... What the hell is going on? And it's funny, some people say it's absolutely nothing to worry about, it's just like the flu. Uh, CNN says we're all going to be dead by the end of the week. But one thing is for certain, people are very scared. Uh, you know, $9 trillion in the global financial markets, gone. Uh, my stock portfolio, bye-bye. Sporting events are now, are now being played with no one in the stands. Shoppers Drug Mart is sold out of Purell. I really don't know how to feel. You know, do we trust those who are hitting the panic buttons? Should we continue to live our lives and and get out there and physically embrace people without worrying? Uh, One thing is for sure, we probably need a modern-day coronavirus-friendly rewrite of Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline. probably shouldn't be doing that right now. So today, we're going to figure out what's actually going on. We're going to figure out how this virus really spreads. And we're going to figure out and talk about what it actually does to people if they get it, how to stay safe and prevent yourself from getting it, and debunk some myths. And to do this, I'm going to be talking with someone who the words of Donald Trump, actually knows what the hell is going on. He's a medical doctor, a public health and preventative medicine expert, and a researcher in epidemiology. He's also quite attractive, so he really is the full package. I can't wait to have him on the podcast, and I hope that by listening, you will become a little bit more informed about what's going on, and most importantly, be able to talk intelligently about this uh, when you're having that very intense debate with that polarizing figure at work who seems to tell you they know everything. Folks, buckle up because this is going to be one fun ride. Support for Freshly Brewed is brought to you by Groovy. Now, those who know me know I'm a very curious individual. I, I love to ask questions, get to the bottom of things, but I've also become a little bit sober curious. Now, for those who don't know what Sober Curious is, it's a bit of a movement where individuals are experiencing life without alcohol. Now, don't get me wrong, I love a a nice night out with a couple cocktails or beers with good friends and family, but every so often, I want to help my body, and I want to respect my body. And to do that, I've been trying non-alcoholic beer. It's low-calorie, it doesn't have any of the bad effects of alcohol, and I can drink a bunch with friends and still feel amazing the next morning. Now, what's the best non-alcoholic beer out there? Well, of course, it's Groovy. Groovy is an amazing and craft line of non-alcoholic beers, Prosecco. This stuff is amazing. It's delicious. It's low-calorie. 
It's infused with terpenes to make it taste even better and elevate your mood. And if any of my guests want to try it, just go to getgroovy.com, pick the pack that you want to try, and enter the code FRESHLYBREWED for 10% off your first order. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Freshly Brewed. Here's your host, Jeff Fenton. Episode one, Freshly Brewed. We've made it to the airwaves. Uh, we have some freshly brewed coffee in front of us. And today I get to, to kick things off and brew up some conversation uh, with our very first guest. This is a, a brilliant guest, probably the best we've ever had on the show, which doesn't say much uh, given that this is our first ever episode. Sitting across from me today in the studio, which is actually my condo, is Dr. Nico Shepard-Jones. Uh, doctor, you prefer Dr. Jones, Dr. Shepard-Jones? I go by Nico, to be honest. Okay, so Nico is a uh, family doctor. He's a resident in the prestigious public health and preventative medicine program in, in, uh, in the University of Toronto, and also uh, is studying epidemiology. Have I gotten all that right so far? Yes, it is a bit complex and I can elaborate, but yes, you've done a great job so oh, far. Relieved. Uh, also, how's the coffee? <laughs> the coffee is amazing. Thank you, Jeff. I, I, I pulled it fresh. Um, and I am honored to lose my podcast guest, Ginity, to Dr. Nico Shepard-Jones. Um, Nico, welcome to the Freshly Brewed Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm quite excited. going to start with a very simple question. What did you have for breakfast today? I don't even know what they're called. It's like a melt but toast with peanut butter. I'm a, I'm a sucker for peanut butter and some nice honey from Kawartha Lakes. It was good. Is that doctor approved? I believe it is, yes. Melt but toast. Yeah. You, you, you're, you, you pro-carbs, anti-carbs? No, just everything in moderation. So folks, we have a doctor telling us everything in moderation. So we don't need to be fasting. We don't need to be eating uh, only butter uh, or eating pure keto. Like We can just keep it balanced. We can we can elaborate on that later if you if you like. Why don't we park that as <laughs> as we like to say in the uh, in the podcast world? Um, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. So I am a Montreal transplant. Bonjour, bonjour. Uh, I do miss speaking French. I grew up in Montreal uh, in a bilingual setting. Uh, I did my medical training at McGill, and then moved here just about two and a half years ago to do my training in family medicine. Kind of midway through that training, I decided I love the clinical world, but I also wanted to have a wider impact on people's lives. And, and I got interested in the field of, of public health. And, and there is this specialty program called Public Health and Preventive Medicine. And the University of Toronto has a program. And I, um, I actually transferred. So I finished my training in family medicine, and then I transferred into this program, which is a five-year program. The first two years generally are clinical training. The third year is academic graduate training, so that's why I'm doing my master's in public health at the University of Toronto. Just to, just to jump in, as a doctor, do you mm. ever uh, practice or do you just study your whole life? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're supposed to practice okay. and study because oh. the field is ever-evolving, right? Okay. Uh, but I, I've been studying for quite a while now, but that I th I'm, I'm not out of the norm. Lots of people take a long time before they're independent for practice. So yeah, and then after that, there will be two more years of kind of rotating through different public health organizations. Um, and the idea of, of this kind of specialty training program in public health is to become a medical officer of health. Unbelievable. Um, what, what drew you to medicine? You know, I have to say it was my second year of university of, of undergrad. I was, um, I was studying cognitive sciences 
And there's this amazing professor, I have to make a shout out to Dr. Petridis. He works at the Montreal Neurological Institute and his lecture style is impeccable. He has changed and inspired the lives of many um, undergrads who've gone through his, his courses. He taught a course on human cognition in the brain and we, we did neuroanatomy for the first two weeks kind of section by section, all the different parts of the brain. And actually, that was my first exposure to, to complex anatomy, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, and so, anyways, building off of that, I, I, I became fascinated with, with neurology, and, and I liked also, the, of course, the human dimension of being able to, to help people. I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, true story, I did not like grade 11 chemistry. Mm-hmm. And that's why I decided not to go into medicine, which was probably a very short-sighted decision. But here I am, just making <laughs> podcasts in my condo. Well, Jeff, there's lots of ways to help people and uh, within the field of, of healthcare and, and outside of it too. So I think you're doing your fair share right now. Merci. <laughs> um, so, Nico, Dr. Dr. Shepard Jones. We're going to just go with Nico? Sure. Okay, we'll go with Nico. Um, coronavirus, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. This thing is, I mean, everyone's talking about it. I think you would agree... The average person, they're walking outside, uh, there's, there's fear. Some people are wearing masks, um, people are much more careful to touch, touch hands, touch each other. Wherever you look, there's clearly fear in people's eyes. And I just want to break it down a little bit more, get your takes on it. Um, obviously, we won't hold you to anything, mm-hmm. uh, so we'll go on the record in saying that. Um, but maybe we can actually start from a very high level. What is a virus? You know, Jeff, my my basic biology classes are, are almost a decade away. But just to break things down very simply, a virus is a kind of germ. It's a small microorganism, and it can cause disease in humans, but also in, in animals, uh, in plants as well. Now, the difference between a virus, say, and bacteria is that whereas bacteria can kind of survive on their own once they get inside you, uh, viruses need to go inside cells and they live within cells to kind of replicate. You know, viruses are, are ubiquitous. There are lots of places. You've had many viruses. You've been exposed to many viruses. Think about the gastro. Think about lots of the common colds are caused by, by viruses. Um, so, so there are lots of viruses that are, that are mild. Then there are some that can cause a little you know, more severe illness. So say the flu. You know, the flu makes you a little more sick. You're not out for three days. You might be out for seven days. Um, and then, of course, there's... Um, long chronic diseases that can be caused by viruses. And that's when we think about HIV uh, and, and hepatitis. So when I, when I am sick, I have a virus. You might have a virus or you, you might have a bacterial infection. But viruses are much more common than bacterial infections. And this might be a, a bizarre question to ask, but... Sure. I mean, what does this look like in the body? Like, is it just cells going haywire, spreading like crazy, mm-hmm. uh, eating things they shouldn't be eating. Like, like when we're talking about someone having a virus, right. um, wh- what's going on there? So when you have a virus, the, the virus will, as I said, kind of get into, in, inside some of your cells. It will replicate, so it will have babies and babies and babies, and then it'll be kind of the cell might burst and they'll be, all those little babies might be released into the, the bloodstream, and then they'll find other cells to kind of invade, okay? And your body's reaction to that is to kind of call let's say the 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 army in so that's your immune system Mm. Um, and so you do have as you 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 know you mentioned that cells might be eating other cells it is a battle inside uh 
when you feel symptoms, you know, such as a fever, uh, that's actually your body mounting what we call an immune response, fighting the Interesting. virus. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So when we when we feel those uh, what we think are really bad mm-hmm. effects, that's actually our body working to defend us. In in, in yeah, in the initial cool. cases especially, yeah. Cool. So in other words, <clears throat> if I'm lying in bed, clenching my fists because my stomach is in absolute knots because uh, I have a stomach flu. I should actually be happy that my body's working to fight something off. Mm-hmm. So there, it's not just the body fighting. There are, of course, there's also effects of the of the germ, mm-hmm. but certainly kind of those what we call widespread like systemic symptoms, which means like the flu, like having the impression of fever and chills and so forth. That's really your body's reaction to the body. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. So that's a virus. That's a virus. Then I've learned, according to Wikipedia, yeah. which I don't know as a doctor if we like that word, don't like that word, but according to Wikipedia, there are coronaviruses. So what's a coronavirus? Because <clears throat> I, I know that that's different from a virus. Right. So coronaviruses are a large fa- family of viruses, and they're quite common. So it's estimated about that about 30% of colds, for example, are caused by coronaviruses. So coronaviruses, we as humans are no strangers to coronaviruses. Now, Coronaviruses also circulate in animals, and they can cause illness there. Um, but one one particular aspect of coronavirus is that they can jump from animals to humans. Mm-hmm. And there's a term for that that's called kind of zoonotic. Zoonotic. Zoonotic means it can jump Whoa. from animals to humans. Sounds like a club. <laughs> it's not a club I want to be a part of. We're going but... to we're going to no. We're going to zoonotic tonight. <laughs> so, um, and so we have several instances of this. So, uh, as I mentioned, many of these coronaviruses are are mild, and then there are others that can be more severe. Think about SARS epidemic that that hit us in 2003, and then more recently in 2012, there was the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome (MERS). MERS and MERS is quite quite severe and it's thought that it originated through transmission um, from camels whoa so there's a big spectrum but again most are very mild uh, viruses are a lot of these coming from animals so you know there are many things that we don't know there's probably a lot of coronaviruses that we've never heard of that are still in animals haven't jumped over to humans and you know they may emerge one day or another so there's a lot out there that we don't know but um Again, I want to emphasize that you know we've been exposed. Most of us have been, have been exposed to coronavirus in our life. Interesting, and and most of them are mild. Now, if if a um, if there are different types of coronaviruses, is COVID nineteen, which I think everyone out there is colloquially just calling the coronavirus, mm-hmm. is that a version of it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So that that is just one exactly. So as I mentioned, SARS. And MERS are versions of it, uh, and then COVID nineteen is also another part of part of that class. So let's talk about COVID nineteen. Sure. So this is this truly is the talk of the town. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure about your stock portfolio, but mine is going down the tubes. <laughs> I wish I had a stock portfolio. Uh, well, <laughs> You're doing better than I. <laughs> I uh, well, it's peanuts, but it's all relative. So, I mean, it's 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 having an effect. I, I use stocks as an example because mm-hmm. this is a you know, a, a, a human virus that is now impacting pretty much every facet of society. Yes. Um, 
cities are being closed down, borders are being shut, people are going to grocery stores, uh, stocking up. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows this is a big deal. Um, So where did this thing start from what we know? And how is it now being transmitted? Like, How did this get to where we are right now? The story from what we understand began in Wuhan, which is a city of about 11 million people in the Hubei province of China. And it's thought that in late November or December of 2019, there was transmission uh, or the start of, sorry, that's when the start of the outbreak is, is generally accepted to be. And what's thought to have happened is that there are uh, live markets. There are lots of markets where there's live animals. And as we mentioned before, sometimes these coronaviruses will jump from animals to the humans. So what's thought is that maybe this virus actually originated in a bat. And then hmm. the bat may have infected another animal that was present in one of these live uh, markets. And then because there's lots of exposures, or sorry, there's lots of uh, interactions between people and animals in these markets, then it's thought that initially there was a group of people who were exposed to, to this, this virus through animal exposure. But then what happened subsequently is that as other as has been the case with other coronaviruses, is that there's also human to human transmission began, um, and then since then that process has intensified, and so initially it was Wuhan, the city, and then the region, then all of China, and as of mid January, that's when we started seeing the export of this disease to other other countries. Other countries. Mm-hmm. Okay, wait. So we said it started in a bat or we think it started in we a bat. We think. We think. And 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 again, I'm not going to hold you to that. Mm-hmm. Dr. Nico Shepherd Jones <laughs> says it started in a bat. But like how how does it start in a bat? Like mm-hmm. like is there just a mutation or does something does the bat eat something or is the bat like how is this thing starting in a bat? How does it start in the bat? So, you know, the bat what we have to recognize is that we have some similarities with lots of other animals, but we also have lots of differences. So, you know, the the virus in the bat could cause almost no symptoms. It kind of coexists mm. in a in a nice state, you know, and the the, the bat might not be too troubled by it. But then all of a sudden, it might it might urinate or its feces might come in contact with another animal who then carries it also without many symptoms. And then gives it to humans, and somehow our immune system overreacts or is n- unable to react adequately, and so all of a sudden we actually have more severe disease than any of these other animals. So if I if I oversimplify, the bat is the reason I've lost thousands of dollars. <laughs> Not that this is all about money. So you know that's a really that's a really complex question. Yeah, uh, we, there are a lot of of diseases that are emerging. Not. Because I don't think it's fair to blame the bat. So it's so it's clear that uh, this thing's spreading, and you know it's it's obviously very easy to spread if two people are in close contact and and sharing germs. When this thing enters a body, um, first of all, is it guaranteed that you're gonna actually feel the effects or mm-hmm. get sick? Right. Um, and what actually happens once you get it? Because y- you 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 know, run into people who think that you're going to mm-hmm. die, that you're not going to be able to breathe, that you're going to have stomach issues. Right. So, you know, what happens when this thing enters your body? 
So what are the symptoms? I want to take a step back, though, because you mentioned something about transmission, and I think it's really important to emphasize this. This disease, the COVID-19, is transmitted from person to person through respiratory droplets. Okay. What that means is that if you cough on me right now, we are standing less than two meters apart. We're sitting pretty close right now. <laughs> this is a very hacked together studio. If you were to cough on me, uh, then there might be a chance. And, and, you know, we spend, let's say that we have to rerun this episode a few times. And oh, we will. Exactly. So if we had prolonged contact and we're at this short distance, then there's a chance that we might, you know, I, if I had it, or if you have had it, might transmit it to the other. Okay, so that's, that's the thing. So if you cough on someone, if you sneeze on someone, those are the main ways. And we need to emphasize strategies, basic strategies to decrease the risk of transmission. And yes. that's one of the big messages that we can get to again at the end. Um, but really, it's about having good cough hygiene, okay. washing your hands, okay. and and making sure that you stay at home if you're sick. Most people, five to six days after they've been exposed, so they've, they've gotten the infection, they don't have symptoms yet, but then we, symptoms will usually start within five to six days. Okay. The number one symptom that's been reported in, across all cases that I'm aware of is fever. Most people have a fever. Then a good number of people might also develop a dry cough. Okay. Some people report fatigue. Less commonly, you might have some muscle pain. Okay. You might have some shortness of breath uh, in more severe cases. Some things that you would be not expecting would be a runny nose, for example. Mm -hmm. In some cases, the disease will progress and it can be quite severe and then you have symptoms that are like those of a pneumonia. So is there a chance that I've been exposed to this and I could have it or someone could have it, but those symptoms might not manifest? Yes. Do we know how likely that is or there's no point in even talking about it? This disease is new. Okay. Information is rapidly changing and our understanding is, is ever evolving. However, in most cases, if imagine that you're not sneezing and you're not coughing. Sure, you might have a concentration of the disease in, you know, inside your mouth and your saliva and so forth, but it's less likely to spread to other people. Whereas if you're hacking all day, then right. you're much like more likely to be to be contagious. So at this point, we're really focusing more on those who are symptomatic in terms of transmission. So at a very, very, again, because I'm trying to simplify it, I get it from someone five or six days later, on average, mm. I might start feeling fever, um, some respiratory issues, a, a, a dry cough, shortness of breath. And that is probably my clue that, okay, I there's a chance I have this virus. Well, we have to place things in their context. So right now is we're in the middle of winter mm -hmm. or, you know, spring is around the corner, hopefully, but we're still in flu season and flu, flu is still much more widespread than this virus. Yes. And I want to talk about that. So flu has similar symptoms uh, and, and those can be difficult to tease apart. So if you t today were to say, I have these symptoms that sound like, oh, I have a fever, you probably have the flu. Interesting. Uh, be because if you haven't been exposed to someone who uh, was exposed in, in China or, you know, there are other countries now where the outbreak is, is taking hold, um, but it's still, you, you have no, right now there is only, I think there are about 50 cases confirmed in Canada. Uh, that's still very few, whereas flu cases are, are much more abundant. So you're much more likely to have the flu than, than a coronavirus at this point. 
This to me is um, the crux of pretty much every conversation I have about this. Mm-hmm. So I will talk to someone and yeah. we'll either have a conversation that's that goes something like, oh, this thing, you know, this, this thing kills you know mm-hmm. far less people than the flu does. And then you have the people who say, the mortality rate of the coronavirus is higher. It's it's more mysterious. We don't know how to treat it. But from what I understand, when you get a flu, yeah, there's no magic pill that makes it go away. No. I mean, I get you know the, you know, I, I I get the cold and flu medicine that yeah. puts me to sleep. <laughs> but and and even when I don't have the flu, sometimes I use it. Um, <laughs> that's a joke, doctor. But seriously, how is this different mm-hmm. than the flu if? Both have similar effects. Um, it sounds like both have similar forms of treatment. Uh, right. w- where are the differences? Right. This virus is more severe than your usual flu in some instances. Okay. So not always. So this is it's it's quite nuanced. So there's this thing that we talk about. It's called case fatality. And without getting into too many details, we try and gauge how severe the disease is by looking at What's the number of deaths overall, and how many diagnosed cases do we have? So right now, across the world, we have about 3,000 confirmed deaths from this disease. There's about 100,000 total confirmed cases. That gives us what we call this case fatality rate of about 3%. That sounds, I mean, it sounds low, but it's actually probably pretty high in the medical community. So let me give you a comparison. Flu in the U.S. Mm -hmm. is 0.1%. Not 0.1%. Yeah. It's not 1%, it's 0.1%. However, there's a huge caveat here. There's two. The first is that we often overestimate the, this fatality rate. Why? Because we're, we can't make sure that we have captured everybody who has ever gotten the disease. Interesting. Because only those usually with more severe symptoms present. Um, and in this case, because it can be very mild... There may be people who are who have very mild symptoms who may not be presenting to care, mm-hmm. and so you know it may be double the amount of people who have. It might not be a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people might be affected. We don't know about it because a lot of them are not getting tested, um, mm-hmm. and, and and that depends on a lot of things, whether or not people report and whether the testing capacities of a given country. And so that number tends to go down. That that three percent usually kind of drops as the outbreak unfolds and our surveillance systems improve. I also want to add in another caveat about this. So not only do we not know exactly how many people are affected with the disease, your risk of actually um, having a severe case of COVID-19 depends on two other additional factors. So first age group, Mm -hmm. if you look at people over 80, um, almost 15% have like might actually have passed away so that that case fatality rate is is significantly increased in those who are elderly and so they're much higher risk of complications and of increased severity but wouldn't they be wouldn't wouldn't individuals over 80 if any sort of uh virus or flu or something hit them exactly it, it, it might unfortunately exactly put them over the edge right exactly so they're always more susceptible and that's mm. also the case for those who have chronic conditions so a lot of the people who have unfortunately passed away from this con- condition also had existing pre-existing what we call comorbidity so they might have had heart disease they might have had diabetes interesting and so, and so again it's if you actually look at people 
um, around the age of 50. So far, that case fatality rate is around 1%. For those under the age of 50, it ranges from about 0.2 to 0.4%. So and, and this is based on incomplete information. Sure, but sure, what sure. I'm saying is that there's a huge range. Most cases will be mild. Certainly, those who are more elderly and those who have chronic medical conditions are more at risk. So for those who are ever going to compare to other viruses, whether you know the mortality rate or transmissibility mm-hmm. or the symptoms, really it's not a, a, a it's not black and white. It, it really depends and it depends mm-hmm. on what year I mean the year impacts the the yeah. rate um, yeah. the way in which in which the virus manifests itself right. impacts how you're gonna so yeah. so really it's it's um, not we, we can't say that it's better. we can't say it's worse. it's different. It, it's different, but it's still not as severe as other. Other other viruses for sure. I mean, if you look at SARS, the death rate was about ten percent. Wow! So that's still significantly higher than this disease, right? Um, and then the MERS virus that I also mentioned, it had about a thirty-four percent death rate. Oh my goodness! Ebola about fifty percent, right? So so this Whoa. is quite mild in comparison to those. But that's also what makes it easy to spread because a lot of people don't get too sick. And right. it might spread the disease without being in hospital. And so it gets, it, it, it's more widely spread. So let's now go to what I think a lot of people um, are thinking about, which is, you know, should I be freaking out? If we shouldn't be freaking out, why? And if we, sh- you know, should be freaking out, what should we do to keep, to keep ourselves in check? I think it's normal to experience fear. This is how we react when new threats emerge. And it's, unfortunately, it's it's part of being a human. How can we counter that reaction? How can we counter fear? I think one of the key ways is to get informed. Mm-hmm. And this is something that you've mentioned. There are lots of sources of information out there. How do you make sense of everything that's going on? There are conspiracy theories. There's sensationalism in media headlines. And one of the messages I'd like to emphasize is that there are websites out there that can keep you up to date with good information. Every region in Ontario has a public health unit. They are updating their coronavirus page. Most of them will have one. I know Toronto Public Health has has a lots of information on their website. Ottawa Public Health also has a great frequently asked questions section. These are good resources. We need to listen to our public health officials and that's where you should go and get your information. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, the Snap. I don't know what's out there. I, <laughs> the, the Snap. The Snap. I am not an adept of social media, unfortunately. There's a lot of, of, of fear out there. Okay. And I think part of it is stems from, from the spread of, of misinformation. So I think the first step is getting informed. And the second is you'll see when you, when you do... It's, it's like, what, what are those tangible measures that we can do? It's again, it's washing your hands, coughing in your elbow, yes. and then staying at home when you're sick. For, for those people who have traveled to regions that are affected, highly affected by the virus, then there are certain protocols in place. For those people who have recently traveled to China, for people who have traveled to Japan, to Iran, um, their public health authorities are asking that you stay at home, you monitor your symptoms, and you inform public health of your travel. Uh, especially if you have any kind of symptoms. These informations, this, these travel-specific advisories are changing on a day-to-day basis. And again, I'm directing people towards good sources of information. The travel.gc.ca website, again, that's travel.gc.ca website, has 
updated travel advisories and it tells people exactly what to do when you go to these places and what to do when you come back from these places. Good. And again, so we have to follow what public health is advising and, and there's good resources for that. In this spirit of mm-hmm. there being a lot of misinformation, mm-hmm. um, you know, false theories about what causes it, how to get it, um, I wanted to bust or confirm some myths. Sure. So I was wondering if we could go go through a few. Shoot, let's do it. Okay. Um, and and by the way, these are uh, these are sent in from the listeners, um, which is no one right now. So I asked just people in my life to to send me some. All right, let's do this. So number one, will drinking alcohol have the ability to kill the virus inside of me? No. Okay. That's a categorical no. <laughs> I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> if anything. That hangover might make you more susceptible to any kind of infection. Uh, so I say limit your intake and drink responsibly. Or drink non-alcoholic beer. Or that. Visit getgroovy.com and enter the code FRESHLYBREWED for 10% off your first order. <laughs> um, so, so someone asked an interesting question, and I know they felt embarrassed to ask, it, uh, to ask it, but I think it's a good one. So they said, I don't want to sound racist, but should I avoid dining at restaurants whose staff or cuisines might originate or be exposed to places where this virus is rampant. And I know that's a bit of a sensitive subject, but, you know, is there a take on that? No, there's no reason to avoid those kinds of of restaurants or those kinds of communities. Unfortunately, there is systemic discrimination and racism in Canada, and it emerges in times of perceived crisis. Viruses don't have passports. Mm. What we need to do is follow the recommendations that are put forth by our public health officials. Most people in Canada have not come in contact with this virus, no matter their ethnicity. And we need to support our local communities. This is a global phenomenon. As global citizens, we need to cooperate, help each other out. I say, go and have dim sum. Yes. Our mayor, the federal and provincial health ministers all got together and had dim sum exactly to do this, to speak out against racism that has accompanied this and to dispel the myths that going to have lunch in Chinatown would be dangerous for you. It is not. I encourage you to go and enjoy some delicious food. For On the record, uh, I dined at a delicious uh, Chinese food restaurant on Wednesday called King's Noodle hmm. at the corner of Spadina and Dundas. Amazing. They did say that their sales are down 50%. Uh, and that's that's really sad and really troubling. And um, I, I think, you know, it, it would, I'm glad we busted this myth. Yes. I'm really glad we and busted I, this I'd myth. like to try that restaurant. I encourage everyone <laughs> to, to show their support. And, and yes, we have such an enriching multi-ethnic community here in Toronto. And, yes. and that a virus like this should not get in the way of anything preventing us from enjoying that. And I don't know, maybe King's Noodle will sponsor the podcast. <laughs> um, can I give the coronavirus to my dog or pet? That's a good question, Jeff. I don't know that I'm not an expert in, in veterinary medicine, so I won't speak on their behalf. I think that their risk would be would be quite low, Okay. Uh, especially since right now the risk of even you contracting the virus mm. is quite low. My nose is runny and my throat is sore. Do I have the coronavirus? Again, probably not. As I mentioned, there's only 54 cases in Canada, so Community transmission is not at all widespread. The risk for most Canadians remains very low. And also, this is not really overlapping with the symptoms that we most commonly see 
with COVID-19, which we discussed earlier. You would expect fever and dry cough. Runny nose very infrequently. Un most people have not responded reported this and same thing for sore throat you probably have the cold if you have those symptoms okay good to know i was shocked to hear that sales of corona beer mm. are tanking right just i mean i know the answer to this but just bust it for our listeners here is there any connection between corona beer and covid19 there is no connection <laughs> between the transmission of covid19 and corona beer you can drink corona beer responsibly if you so wish without increasing your risk of disease I will say that there is a risk, there, sorry, there is a connection between Corona beer and coronaviruses only from a visual standpoint. Now, let me, let me just dive into that very I'm briefly. I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm genuinely intrigued here. So the, the coronavirus class, when looked at under the microscope, have this external structure with little crown-like spikes. <laughs> and so the scientists, in a, oh in a creative moment called this the coronavirus is because of its similarity with the corona beer logo wait actually yes my mind is actually blown here that's <laughs> unbelievable i think we have a new name for this episode there is a link wow but not again not no risk of increased transmission through consumption oh, of corona wow. beer it's just because of the logo similarity okay that's brilliant and i guess i'm curious to know other than those three things you mentioned right sanitizing mm -hmm. hands yeah. uh coughing into yeah. your elbow staying home if you're sick is there any other, I guess, cures or preventative medicines or things available right now that we can do to, to stop ourselves? Like, should we should we be wearing masks? Should we be getting our flu shots for, for COVID-19 purposes? Right. So getting your flu shot is always a good idea. Not because it will protect you from COVID-19, but especially now, I mean, we're seeing extra demand on our healthcare system. Any person who we can avoid visiting the hospital or you know your primary care physician's office um, because they have the flu. If we can avoid that with the flu shot, then we're winning, and it's a win-win situation. There are vaccines in development right now. It's kind of a race, uh, but vaccine development is notoriously complex, and it takes a long time. So from my most recent understanding, we can maybe expect the vaccine to appear in the next... 18 months wow but it's it won't be tomorrow that's for sure in it, parallel there's other treatments that are being developed and these are usually antiviral based but these are expensive and still very preliminary and would only be used in very severe cases when when um, approved this might be a silly question but <clears throat> if it takes 18 months which mm. i understand it takes right. time to develop and then distribute at that point could this virus be gone Hopefully. Yeah. And then in which case, there, there won't be a need for the vaccine. No, unless it were to reemerge. So you have it in your back pocket for the future. Right. Um, long term, as long as we're alive, there's always probably going to be viruses like this. Mm -hmm. And if there's sort of one piece of information or one piece of advice you could leave with listeners, it would be... Make sure that you get the right information. Dividing, discrimination, racism are never okay. And getting the right information will help fight that. And then finally, stick to those basic principles. You're protecting yourself from coronavirus as you would with the flu, as you would with the cold. And we see, to your earlier point, lots of people wearing masks. Um, let's keep those masks for those who are actually sick because mm -hmm. it prevents them from spreading the infection to others. 
and for healthcare providers who are at higher risk because they have very close exposure to lots of patients. We have a much better handle on this, con on this disease than we have on previous viruses in the past. Make sure that you check in with your public health uh, unit's website. Stay informed, um, and, but you know, keep enjoying life. You know, they say that your first time is always a little painful, but losing my podcast genity here to you has been awesome. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I think our listeners can can benefit a lot from what you've shared with us. I think it's, it's a reminder to stay calm, get the right information, treat everyone with dignity and respect. Don't make assumptions. Don't believe these, you know, extreme conspiracy theories. And as Barack Obama said, and I really loved it, Use common sense. Just practice some common sense. <laughs> I, I think you've wrapped it up nicely, Jeff. And I'm really I'm thrilled to have been part of this. Uh, I'm also new to this uh, whole podcast thing, so it's exciting for me as well. So thanks, thanks again for having me. And that was a delicious brew, by the oh, way. Well, freshly brewed. So we always have fresh coffee. And next time you'll come on one of our evening shows, we'll have freshly brewed beer. Uh, it might be non-alcoholic. Groovy. Mention the code freshly brewed for 10% off your first order. Nico, thank you so much, man. Thanks again. <laughs>